Scripture reading this morning will be from uh, the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. If you'd like to read along, it'll be found in the Pew Bibles at, on page 1039. 1039 in the Pew Bibles. Ephesians 3, 1 through 7. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I write afore in few words, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, and it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effectual working of his power. I was reading from the King James Version. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. And you've been encouragement to us that you're here this morning. We hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Uh, we wish each of you a happy Memorial Day weekend. And with that in mind, uh, we do want to pause and, and we want to reflect today and, of course, tomorrow as a nation upon the wonderful way that God has blessed us with the fact that we have neighbors around us in America that are willing to serve our country and uh, as, as we oftentimes have read and said, uh, all gave some, but some gave all. And perhaps uh, there would be many here that in your family, uh, you have individuals that have served and given their all in the military. And so we just want to pause and, and say uh, that we're mindful of that. And the Lord teaches us to give honor to whom honor is due. And the Lord teaches us to count our many blessings. And we look back on the history of America and God has truly blessed America and we appreciate his blessings and we appreciate those that have served and continue to serve uh, our country and us as neighbors. With that in mind also, we have many that take advantage of this extended weekend to go camping at Fall Creek Falls. And uh, we haven't heard the number yet of how many will worship there this morning, but uh, it'll be a pretty large number. And uh, because of that, there will not be a need tonight for the simulcast because there will be enough away over there to compensate for that difference. So tonight we'll gather here at 6 o'clock and uh, everybody can gather. There's no need if you're the group that usually goes over the simulcast. That's not needed. Uh, let me go ahead and throw out to you that what we've studied last Sunday morning and what we'll study this Sunday morning, uh, coming through Ephesians 2 and now this morning Ephesians 3, uh, it's going to be pulled together because of the text in its fullness tonight. And uh, I'm, I'm not doing that just to, to do the old preacher, hey, come back on Sunday night. I mean, it's good to come back on Sunday night, but I'm just telling you, my guess is that a lot of us will leave here tonight because of the text we'll study. We'll study some out of Ephesians 3, but that'll lead us over to Revelation 12, and that'll lead us back to Ephesians 1. And I'm going to guess that a lot of us will leave here tonight and say, 
I have a better understanding of the eternal purpose of the church than I've ever had before in my life. And so I beg you, if, if, please be back tonight for, for our understanding's sake. And if for some reason you can't make it back tonight, please go online and, and listen to Sunday night's sermon uh, because I believe that maybe some of, of our um, challenges and misunderstandings is that we turn the church into something completely physical, completely earthly. And, uh, and later on in Ephesians 3, he takes it down to the very core of what it really is. And so I look forward to that tonight, look forward to worshiping with you tonight as we consider that passage. Also, before we go into the lesson, we've had some just coming in late great news. Uh, last night, Steve Sanders baptized Howard and Carol Williams into Christ. They are of Lebanon, Tennessee. And on this next slide, I have their address. And then also, if you want to copy this down to write them a note, or I have copied this slide, and it is at the Information Center, if you want to go by and pick it up to write a note. Carol uh, has cancer. And she, the doctors have told her that she has a very, very short time to live. And she made contact with Steve and let him know that, that she wanted to be saved. And so Steve uh, began to work with her. And he went to Walmart last night and bought a pool and took it over to her house. And then before she was baptized, her and Steve talked to her husband and he decided that he wanted to be baptized into Christ. And so it truly is a wonderful time. And so here is a newborn babe in Christ that is also uh, in, in the last season of her life and uh, now looking forward to eternity. I want to encourage you to write them a note. And uh, I want to encourage you to encourage them as brothers and sisters in Christ. Connect for life. There are many relationships upon this earth, perhaps, that we misunderstand. But if there is one relationship that we misunderstand the most, or at least if we had to make a list of the top three or the top five, I would think that we would have to place our misunderstanding about what the church really is. The reason I say that is because there are so many individuals that see the church as something that's solely an earthly institution, almost like some kind of social club. And, and if it's convenient, be a part of it. And, and if you go and enjoy it, keep going. But listen, if it ever stops being convenient, just put it on the back burner for a while. Or if you just don't like it, just abandon it forever. If I see the church only as an earthly institution, the truth is those things make sense. Why not? But if the church is far more than that, Perhaps it demands and expects far more of us. And so today I hope that our study together can, can open first the Holy Word of God so that we can learn what the church really is. And in that, appreciate the church and devote ourselves as a part of the church to Christ in the way that He would want us to do. How do you feel and what do you think when you see someone who is abusive? When you see the marks left on someone's body because someone else has physically abused them, what do you think about it? 
I found myself just recently driving by a restaurant and noticed that a woman was literally cowering down and a man was really getting physically up on top of her and, and I literally stopped and I watched for a moment and, and then after I realized, okay, maybe it's, it's just a verbal argument, I kind of then said to myself, well, David, what were you going to do if it wasn't? And the truth is, I was going to do something. I don't know what I was going to do, but I stopped not to watch. It wasn't curiosity. I stopped because my first thought was, that woman needs help. How do you feel when someone is being abused? What is the most abused body that's ever lived? The body of Christ. The church is regularly abused. Individuals will frequently criticize the Lord's body. Individuals will often with their words undermine the body of Christ. Other individuals perhaps aren't quite as abusive. They're just negligent. They couldn't care less about the body of Christ. And what's interesting is many that are abusive of a body of Christ are literally a part of the body of Christ. It's almost like self-inflicted wounds when you look at it from that angle. And so we can begin in this same book of Ephesians that we're going to be studying this morning, but look over in Ephesians, the fifth chapter. How did the Lord feel about the body? Ephesians 5 and 25, he encouraged husbands to love their wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for. He loved the body so much that he was willing to die for anything good that could happen to the church. As a matter of fact, when we read down just a few verses in Ephesians 5 and 28, again, he says, husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. He's saying, husbands, look the way you nourish yourself. Look the way you take care of yourself. He says, I want you to turn around, and I want you to see your wife, and I want you to nourish and take care of her. And he says, by the way, I can use myself as an example. Look the way I took care of my body. Look at the way I took care of the church. Look at the way I nourished the church. Look at the way I gave all for the well-being of the church. So as we begin this morning, I simply ask you, do you love the body of Christ the way Christ loves the body, the church? It really is a sobering question to think that how many times have I abused Christ's body? How many times have I neglected Christ's body? And so with that in mind, let's go into a study of Ephesians, the third chapter. And in Ephesians, the third chapter, it's, it's almost like Paul is, is bringing back a veil, if you will, to say... You've been looking through this and it's kind of cloudy. Let me make it a little more clear. Let me help you see exactly what the church is supposed to be. Now, you know, recently we studied Ephesians, the second chapter along those same lines, and, and it was a beautiful text that told us so much about the body of Christ. And for time's sake, we're not going to review that right now, although I wish we could because, because it's almost like when we come to the third chapter, he's not starting a new lesson. He has in a sense, just concluded a powerful lesson about the church. What do we do sometime at the end of powerful lessons? How many times have we at the end of a sermon or a Bible class, we said, let's pause for a prayer. And we've prayed about what we've just studied. 
It seems that that's what Paul is about to do. As the chapters break down in the Bible, we come to the end of Ephesians 2, a powerful study about the church, and then he is about to say, for this reason, look at verse 14, Ephesians 3 and 14, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the rest of Ephesians 3, 14, down to the end of that chapter, is a powerful prayer about the church. It makes sense he's praying about the church because that's what he's been studying with us about. But what I want you to notice is that in Ephesians, the third chapter in verse 1, notice he was about to begin that prayer there. Notice he said, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, Jesus, for you Gentiles, I'm going to pause there for a moment and we'll look at that a little more in a moment. But do you see what he was doing there? It seems that he was about to start that prayer in the third chapter in verse 1. And you can imagine, maybe it was like this. And for this reason, I bow my knees and pray. And then a few things go through his mind. And he kind of picks back up and he says, let me share just a few more things with you about this mystery of Christ, the church. And let me share this with you and then we'll go back to that prayer. And so these first 12 or 13 verses of this chapter is literally an interruption, if you will, for him to say, I just want to make sure we're clear on this before I offer this prayer for the church. So what is it that he wanted them to be clear about? Number one, it's interesting that just as he interrupts that prayer, the first way he identifies himself is a prisoner of Christ. Listen, they knew that. Paul had been in prison by the time he wrote this for about five years. He was not informing them of something they didn't know. So I ask you, why would he say that? He's interrupting this and, and he's going to tell them something. Why does he say, I just want to remind you that I'm a prisoner for Christ. In other words, what I'm talking to you about, I believe it so much so that I would give up my freedom before I would give up my belief in what I'm talking with you about. Now we know ultimately Paul would give up his life before he would give up what he is believing. Now put along beside that the very fact that Paul articulated so well whatever he was studying with individuals. We can look through history and we can see individuals that made a powerful impact like just a couple immediately come to my mind when the world needed to hear a very distinct and strong message, Winston Churchill was there. When America needed to hear a very loud and distinct and clear message, Abraham Lincoln was there. I can't help but think that this in a sense was a time like that for the church where the church needed to hear a very loud and clear and distinct message, we're not divided. We are all brought together in one church and we are all brought together to bring glory to him. It's not about us and it's not about being divided. It's about being united to give glory to him. And so here is a man that is going to be able to communicate that message, but it's a man that is willing to give up so much. You can't help but think, wow, if Paul believes in that message so much, there must be something to it. Here's a guy that's been in prison for five years now because of this message. Paul, I want to listen to you. What is the message that you have to share? And so we go into that message and the next couple of verses, what he's going to do is in essence is he's going to say, I want to remind you, it's not my message. Notice where I got this message. Let's read the third chapter in verse two. 
If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation, now Paul, how did you get this message? By revelation, he made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written already by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. That word dispensation back up in verse two is a very interesting way to describe the grace of God. I wanna, I wanna go back and show this to you again. Look with me again in third chapter of verse two. If indeed you have heard of the grace of God, that'd make sense, wouldn't it? If, if that word was left out, it would make sense. Yes, I've heard of the grace of God, but Paul didn't leave that out. Why does he use that word dispensation? Why does he say, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God? The word dispensation has to do with administration of or sometime even stewardship of. In other words, here's this marvelous grace of God that's offered to mankind, but Paul says, I want to talk with you about how the grace of God is administered to mankind. This plan was made before the very foundations of the earth. This plan was brought into fruition because Jesus Christ came to this earth and died and was resurrected. This plan now is, remember the mystery, that we're all going to be brought together in one and that we're all going to turn around and tell others about this wonderful opportunity that we have to be a part of that one body. And so Paul says, I don't want to just talk to you about the grace of God. I want to talk to you about the full picture here of this eternal plan. And what's going to be a vital part of that eternal plan as he continues this is, in essence, he's saying, I want to talk with you about the church and the way the church is a part of the grace of God. Someone says, give me God, but, but I don't want the church. Do you realize in essence what we're saying is, I want God, but I don't want his grace. The grace of God is administered to us. It is brought to us through the church. Now, I'm not taking away Christ. I know Christ had to die. I'm just saying to you, as we break down some in the second chapter, but definitely break down the third chapter, what he's going to do is he's going to help make this, this umbrella, if you will, of an understanding of the church. He's going to really broaden it out, and it's going to go a lot broader than just earthly. It's going to go back to the beginning of time and, and even before, and it's going to go to the end of time and way beyond. In other words, it's an eternal understanding. And so that's why I believe that Paul begins to use this word here of dispensation. And he says, there's this dispensation of the grace of God, and no man would have known it. In other words, in, in a way, what Paul is saying is, I couldn't have sat down and I could not have written these things because no man could understand this. But instead, this was given to me by revelation. Do you remember in Galatians, the first chapter, when Paul was converted? In Galatians, the first chapter, it says that I did not confer with flesh and blood. And even says, I didn't go to Jerusalem. He became a Christian. He didn't go to Jerusalem and sat down with the other apostles and say, guys, can you catch me up on Christianity? Instead, he went to Arabia. And this is kind of mind-boggling. We don't know more than what is said right there. But he spent time in Arabia, and apparently Jesus Christ came down and taught him by revelation. And he makes it very clear in Galatians, and he makes it clear in passages like this. What I learned of God, I didn't get it second-handed. In other words, he's writing to people that they learned a lot from Peter or some of the other apostles. He's making it clear what I've learned of God 
I learned it directly of Jesus. And so notice he says, by revelation I've received this message. And what is that message? See there in verse 3, he made known to me the mystery. Things that beforehand have never been known or understood about the church, now they are known and understood. And so he says in parentheses, when I have briefly written, and now you read it, you understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So the things that before were unknown, now you can know them. How do you know them? They were revealed to me. I sat down and I wrote them. And the next verse is going to tell us that he even wrote them by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit made sure that as he wrote it, that he got it right. And he says, now it's been revealed to me. I've written it by inspiration. Now you read it and you understand. This is probably one of the best passages that we have in Scripture to briefly describe how the process of inspiration works. Now, if you take the verse we just read and the next verse with it, it really is a brief explanation of how the inspiration of the Scripture worked. It's really powerful. And so in essence, what Paul is saying, I'm going to share with you things that's far beyond man, and the way I know it is by revelation. The way you know it is because you read what I have written. I believe in this message. I'm a prisoner because of this message. I believe in this message. This message is from God. It's not from me. Okay, what's the message? Well, he's going to spend the next two verses quickly reviewing the message because he's already talked about it in quite a bit of detail in the previous chapter in Ephesians 2. But let's go now to verse 5 and 6, and let's notice him reviewing what is this mystery. And keep in mind, in the previous chapter, we looked in more depth of what it was. But here's how he reviews it quickly here. Which, this is Ephesians 3 and 5. Which in other ages was not, now this is talking about the mystery. It was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed, how? By the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. And see, they wrote it down and now we read it and we understand it. Well, what is the mystery? That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of what? The same body and what partakers they're going to share of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Now again, I don't know how this strikes you, but in their day and time, the idea that the Gentiles were going to come into the same body was mind-boggling to the Gentiles. It was also mind-boggling to the Jews. You are going to bring us all together. That can't be. We can't imagine it. And he says, oh yes, and it's going to be brought together because of the one body. They're going to come to Christ. You're going to come to Christ. And he's going to bring us together. Remember last week, we studied Ephesians, the second chapter. And remember, we are made alive together in Christ. We are raised together in Christ. We sit in heavenly places together in Christ. We are all brought into the same body. And because of that, we are partakers of the same promise. You take any hatred that's going on in America today or around the world today, that hatred could be destroyed immediately if everybody involved came to Christ. Coming to Christ. Now, I'm talking truly. I'm not talking about just some kind of verbal, shallow, hypocritical exercise. I'm talking about individuals that truly come to Christ. You can have two neighbors that live next door to each other that are enemies of each other. If both of them truly come to Christ, they may not be best friends, but you can count on the fact that them being enemies has ceased. And that's interesting because sometimes we have individuals within one body that say they're enemies of each other. Somebody doesn't understand coming to Christ. And so here he makes it clear, Jews and Gentiles, you had a lot of disdain for each other. Some of you even had hatred for each other. Let me tell you a mystery. 
Jesus Christ died so that the grace of God could redeem you to bring you into one body. What a powerful mystery that's been revealed. So that brings us to 7 and 8. Paul, what is it that you preach? Look what he says in 7 and 8. Of which I became a minister. Now see, we didn't start a new sentence there. He's talking about this mystery that has been revealed and this mystery that we're all going to come into the one body and the promises of Christ are going to be available for all. And he says, that's what I became a minister of. According to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should what? Preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Some translations would say preach the unfathomable riches of Christ. Paul, why did you become a minister? Now, if you want to take the time to go back and read Acts the ninth chapter, remember in Acts the ninth chapter, Ananias came to him and because Jesus told him what to say. He told him in, in verse 15, the Lord said to him, go for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul here is saying, I became a minister so that I could tell the world that Gentiles, kings, Jews, we all belong in one body. And I'm willing to suffer for it. And now here we stand years later and what has Paul done? Paul has gone to the Gentiles and told them they belong in the body of Christ. And when the Jews refuted him to say, you can't bring the Gentiles into our body, he stood up to them to tell Israel, absolutely, we're going to be Jew and Gentile together in the one body. And when they didn't like it, they would throw him in prison. They would persecute him harshly. And he suffered much. You see, what Ananias came and told him about becoming a Christian all of it had come true, and we're seeing evidence of it even here in Ephesians, the second chapter. But the beautiful thing is that Paul did not stop doing what Paul had set out to do, a mission given by Christ, and that is preach the riches of Christ. I want to pause here for just a moment, and I kind of want to put you on the spot. If you had to go to work or school tomorrow or sit down with a neighbor tomorrow that didn't know about Christ, and all you were to share with them was the riches of Christ, that's all you were to share with them. Because that's what Paul says here. He says, I became a minister so I could share the unfathomable. He says, this, 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 this is almost more than you can imagine. Unsearchable. In other words, you can't uncover the depth. You can't dig down deep enough in these riches to say, oh, that's the very beginning of the riches. He says, this is so rich, you don't even fully understand them all. So tomorrow you're going to sit down with somebody and you're going to tell them how rich the riches of Christ is. What are you going to tell them about? Perhaps your preacher's failed you. Perhaps your preacher hasn't done often enough what Paul has said he did as a preacher. Paul said in my preaching, I constantly emphasize the riches of Christ. And for just a few moments, and if you want to take a pen and jot these down, or if you want to get in touch with me, I can send you these references. I just want to flip through several times that the Lord speaks about some characteristic as being riches. Here are some things that are rich. When we read in Ephesians 1, so this same book in verse 6, we read his grace 
is rich. Now for these, I'm not going to have time to read all these, but I'd just like for you to note this. He, he speaks there at the very end of verse 7, according to the riches of his grace. Look as we go in Ephesians 1 and 18. His inheritance is rich. And he even says that you may know it. And look at the end. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance? You ever heard someone get excited because they found out about a rich uncle they didn't know about that was going to leave them a great inheritance? I know some of you say, I've never heard about it, but I sure have wished for it a lot of times. Do you realize that there's an inheritance waiting on us far greater than the royal family? Just the other day, someone calculated, that's in the business of calculating inheritance, they estimated that the royal babies that have just been born, their inheritance will be over a billion dollars. But that doesn't compare back a few years ago when Sam Walton died and his four children are now today worth easily over $30 billion each and can be much higher than that. And we look at this great estates and we say, wow, can you imagine? But maybe some of us are more like Thomas Martinez of Bolivia. He looks like a homeless man here because really that's the way he spent the last part of his life. And what he didn't know was that an inheritance of $6 million was left to him. But he knew that he had a drug and an alcohol problem. So when he heard that officials were hunting for him, he went completely out of sight. He ran away from the very ones that were trying to deliver a $6 million inheritance and he's never been found. I wonder how many people, they just haven't had Christians, they haven't had someone that knows and understands how rich the inheritance is to tell them what's waiting for them. And yet on the other hand, sometimes some of us are trying to tell and people just keep running and running from God. Have you ever really stopped to think about when you're running from God, what you're really running from? A rich inheritance that we've never seen anything like it on earth. We've never experienced anything like it. We could talk about in Ephesians 2 and 4 what he talks about, his rich in mercy. Or we could talk about Ephesians 3 and 16 and the following verses, how his love is rich. We could go to Romans 2 and 4 and talk about how his goodness, his forbearance, and his long-suffering is rich. We could go to Romans 11 and 33 and we could talk about how his wisdom and his knowledge is rich. We could go to 1 Timothy 6 and 17 and find out that we shouldn't trust in the blessings. We should trust in the one who is rich in giving us the blessings. Or we could go to Colossians 2 and 2 and we could see that the assurances, the promises that God gives us through Christ is rich. Or we could go to Colossians 3 and 16 and we, should, we could see that his word ought to dwell in us richly because it just makes life that much better. Or we could even read Hebrews 11, 24 and 25 and we could see that Moses was willing to be rich in suffering the reproach with the children of God instead of staying at home in Egypt and being rich with all the surroundings of living in a palace. That's just a few of the times. I'm not telling you I would say they're rich. I'm telling you we just read passages where God said those things are rich through me. 
what I learned today. Number one, I learned I need to ask myself, how many bruises have I put on the body of Christ? And if I find out as I evaluate myself that I'm really a regular abuser of the Christ body, surely I understand I should stop that. Or maybe I ought to ask myself, have I neglected the body of Christ? Number three, I need to recognize from our study today that the Bible came to us by the revelation of God. That may seem simple to you, but I ask you this morning to really allow that to sink in. What does it mean to be holding a book that is the Word of God? Number four, what is your favorite riches of Christ? In other words, if you were going to sit down tomorrow and you were only going to talk with one or two people about the riches of Christ, which one of that list would you say, now this is my favorite one to talk about? I love talking about his grace, his inheritance, his mercy, his love, his goodness, his forbearance, his long-suffering, his wisdom, his knowledge, his blessings, his assurance, his word, or even suffering with him is a rich blessing. Tonight, we'll take where we just left off and pick up in the immediate verse that we left with. And we're going to see how all of this beautiful study becomes eternal. I look forward to that. But until then, we'll go to Bible classes and we'll spend an afternoon. But right now, we're about to sing a song of encouragement. And there may be somebody here that you know that you're not where you need to be in your relationship with God. Maybe you've neglected Him. Maybe you've abused him. And you stop this morning to reflect on it in that particular language and you say, you know, I'm ashamed. And I want to repent and I want to come home and let's pray forgiveness. Maybe you've never become a part of the body of Christ. Do you realize the riches that you're passing up on? Can you imagine running away from somebody that's trying to deliver to you so much good? And maybe an understanding of that in Scripture this morning makes you say, you know, I want to stop running from him and I want to start running to him. Look at everything that he has in store for me. And if you're ready to be baptized into Christ for mission your sins, if we can help in any way, come.